It's so good to be with you here this morning. I hope you enjoyed the music from the friends and family. Great. <laughs> Praise the Lord. There's going to be more of that where that came from, so don't worry. There'll be a little more. But um, looking out into the audience today, I have a different sensation. Usually, I'm up here to make music, which I'm still doing. However, today, I've been given the immense, immensely humbling opportunity to speak and share my testimony. In this moment, I can't help but think of a quote by the famous modern composer Eric Whitaker, um, in which he says, Musicians never stop feeling the nerves before performing. We just get used to being constantly terrified. <laughs> and although I've gotten pretty used to being terrified before making music, it has been a while since I've shared the word with such a large crowd. <laughs> Nevertheless, I feel great this morning because I get to share um, the word with my church. Um, and it feels great. Um, Throughout my life, I've always been, I've always had like a connection with the ministry. I'm, I've been preaching since I was in the sixth grade. And I was the religious VP for, for last year academy at school there. Um, from junior high to, I, fi I finished high school. And, uh, but God called me to minister in a different way. He called me to minister in music. And this morning, I get to tell you how he did that. <clears throat> um, it all started when I was born. Uh, <clears throat> Basically, I know many of you know me and my family, but if you don't, um, give you a short background. I, I can tell more stories, but you know, for time's sake, I won't tell as many stories. But um, I grew up in a very musical family. My mom's side is um, my mom's a soprano, and she has four brothers who are all operatic tenors. And her family, her dad was a pastor and also a tenor. Her mom was the church pianist and organist. And my dad's side of the family is the same. They're all, they all play instruments and sing. His mom was a church pianist and organist. And his dad was a preacher as well. So it's, it runs in the family. And looking back at it, I realized I had no choice, really, to become a singer. Um, <laughs> but as a child, I was always surrounded by incredible music, as you can imagine. And my family loved to listen to music. So I listened, I grew up listening to the, and uh, watching the laser discs. They don't even, those things don't exist anymore, the laser discs. Of Andrea Bocelli and the three tenors. And I used to watch them and be glued to them. And by the time I was like two or three years old, I already knew all the lyrics to famous Italian arias like La Donna Mobile and things like that. And I made sure I knew the, I let the world know that I could sing. I would go into public and sing in public places and my grandparents loved telling me those crazy stories. Um, but for some reason, um, I kind of learned to not like the attention the singing gave me when I was a kid. I don't know why. I still haven't figured it out. I need to go to more therapy sessions to figure it out. <laughs> but I stopped. And around four years old, my mom put me into piano lessons. And when I was 11, I picked up the saxophone. And I concentrated on that for many years. That's what I did. And um, those are skills that I cherish to today. Um, side note, parents, put your kids in piano lessons. Um, it's very valuable. And but I stopped singing. However, I had a secret passion buried inside me that nobody really knew about. As I grew older, I could not hold the insatiable desire to sing. So at night, throughout junior high and high school, when everybody was sleeping, 
I was in my room studying. <laughs> I would go into my closet and play the recordings I had of the greatest tenors of all time. After sang along with Luciana Pavarotti and Placido Domingo, Jose Carreras, and Andrea Bocelli, trying to imitate the sound that they had and observing every moment in their technique so that I could replicate it. By listening and imitating alone, I was able to grow a talent I knew I had, but was hesitant to open up. Finally, in high school, I started singing more. I joined the Delta Mu Choir my sophomore year at Lasseter Academy. I see Mr. Mbawa in the audience. And eventually was recruited by the Lasseter University United Vocal Group to sing tenor while I was still a junior in high school. Um, I was building the courage to sing, but slowly, you know. Um, I still hadn't sung as a soloist, it was only in groups. My, um, my junior year of high school, I auditioned for the Bible Camp Praise Team. However, I auditioned as a pianist and a saxophonist, not a singer. I still wasn't ready. That year, I, I did not make it into the praise team. And that stung a little bit because that was the biggest thing at the time, you know? Bible Camp Praise Team was like, everybody was going bananas over that. I mean, you know, all, everybody that's my age knows that. Um, yeah. And um, so I knew what I had to do. The next year, senior year, I went to audition again, but this time, I decided I was gonna audition as a soloist. And I prepared A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. And I showed up to the audition day and I sang it. I knew I had impressed them. However, the leaders of the music at the time decided the best place for me was in the choir, not amongst the soloists. I later received an apology for that, but I didn't really need one because I was still so excited to be able to participate and sing for the first time, really. Once in the band, it was time to learn the music we were given. When I saw the set list, I became a little worried. I grew up in the Spanish SDA church, a world that was much more conservative than the community that I was becoming a part of. But even for our liberal Southeastern California conference standards, I thought the songs might have been a little much. And I didn't feel all that comfortable with them. However, the music leader at the time had that pushing the envelope style and he assured us that these songs are going to change lives on the mountain. Being uncomfortable was what he was wanting to stir along with other affirming emotions. However, this discomfort exposed all the doubts I had about my voice. I began to ask myself the question so many of us ask ourselves, should I be doing this? Is my talent supposed to be used for this? Is this really what you want me to do, Lord? I then remembered what I had been taught about the Lord. And I remember the beautiful verse in Psalms that told us, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations and I'll be exalted in the earth. Psalms 46.10. So I took this to heart. And I began to pray like I had never prayed before. I had been taught all my life about the scriptures found in the Bible that promised the Lord's protection, guidance, and blessings. And now I had decided to claim them for myself. I began to search the Bible for God's promises to His people, reassuring that He was present and ready to speak. I read verses like Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. 
After reading these passages, I would kneel and tell God that I needed Him and that I needed Him to answer me. My heart was distraught at the time because I decided that if God told me that what I was doing was wrong, I would quit. I wasn't going to do it. Because I didn't feel right doing it. I didn't feel, my gut told me not to do it. And I didn't want to do something that was against God, but also against my own gut. You know. Then, I read the third chapter in the book of Samuel. The story of how the prophet Samuel gets called as a boy to serve the Lord. In the story, First Samuel 3.1 says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. I realized that time was not much different than our time. The voice of the Lord is still rare in our times. However, this, this did not discourage me because I read the rest of the story. Samuel was sleeping in the temple with Eli, the priest, when he heard a voice calling him. He immediately ran to Eli's room saying, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. Then God called again, Samuel. Samuel again rose and ran to Eli's room, but was once again told to lie down. Here the Bible says that Samuel did not know the Lord yet, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. This could be interpreted in a couple ways. But I like to think that since Samuel was dedicated to the Lord young, he wasn't really sure what this whole religious tradition was really meant yet. He hadn't really realized who God was yet. After all, his voice was rare. I identify with this because I, I grew up fourth generation Adventist and have spent my entire life in Adventist schooling. I know the scriptures. I know the fundamental beliefs. I know I've been taught on the teachings of Ellen White. But just because you might follow all the rules does not mean you really know the Master. The story continues with God calling Samuel once more. This time Samuel gets up, goes to Eli and says, Here I am, for you did call me. Then noticing that the Lord was calling Samuel, Eli sent him back with his instructions. Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. 1 Samuel 3.9 Sure enough, it happened again, but this time the Bible said the Lord came and stood and called Samuel twice this time. Samuel, Samuel. I love that the Bible says the Lord came and stood. He walked in the room. And Samuel answers as Eli said, Speak, for your servant hears. This was the moment Samuel met the master. This was the moment God chose Samuel as his next prophet, revealing to Samuel his will for Israel. The story reinvigorated my spirit. I was determined to speak with the Lord. Bible camp started a day and a half after rehearsing on the mountain. The musicians usually get there a day and a half early to practice, and the first performance we had went well. But uh, it was the first day, and everybody is getting to know each other, and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not as powerful the first day. The whole time our leader was saying that it was Friday night when lives would be changed. The end of the second day would bring the spirit to the people. Saturday was the day everyone went home. As Friday approached, I kept praying and listening, praying and listening. Still nothing. I was so distraught that I could barely sleep. I did not want something, I didn't want to do something against the Lord and against what I felt was right. Finally, 
Friday arrives. We were rehearsing right before the evening session. And our leader tells us, this is it. This is it, guys. This is the time it all goes down. And we were like, wow. Everybody was so excited. And at the same time, I was dying on the inside. After the rehearsal, the leader begins to pray for us. During this prayer, I was so nervous and anxious that I could not even listen to what he was saying. I finally prayed to God while the pastor was praying and said, Lord, I call on you now to show me what your will is. I need to know. If you are going to answer me as you promised your people you would, please answer me now. And I will never stop dedicating my life to you. Before I could even say amen, I felt as if every window and door in the room was open. A wind seemed to rustle my spirit, but not my clothes. And suddenly, I felt God himself walk into the room. He walked in front of me and stood there, as he did when he called Samuel the last time. I began to cry. And I said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He did not say a word, but he didn't need to. I knew it was him, because every cell in my body acknowledged their maker. And I felt the fear of the Lord as it's told in the Bible. Not a fear of evil, but instead fear that stems from the inferiority of being a fallen man, a broken man, in front of, of God. You know? I felt as if I had no business being even looked at by him. He knew me, everything about me. I then understood that I received what I had asked for. He arrived early for the concert and planned to stay. I then received peace. That peace that transcends all understanding. I felt like Peter when God brought down the tarp from heaven and told Peter, Don't call unclean what I have called clean. I needed to sing. I didn't even hear the pastor say amen. The next thing I heard was the team loudly calling my name to get up on stage to get ready to sing. I slowly put my head up for fear that I might actually see him. He was still, I hadn't put my head up. I was like this the whole time. And he was still standing in front of me. He was still standing right next to me. I then realized I couldn't see him, though I could feel him right next to me, and that I was the only one in the group going through this experience. So I decided to remain calm and act natural for the rest of the group. The whole night while we were singing, I did not stop feeling the chills run up and down my body. And I felt that if I would just really try hard to see him in the crowd, that I would find him. It was surreal. That night, lives were changed, including my own. As soon as that powerful session on Friday night ended, he left, and the chills stopped. And my floating soul touched the ground again. From then on, I knew that he was calling me to sing, and that I could call on him to guide me. He would answer me. Fast forward to college. I entered college, pre-med music major. When I told my mom, I told my parents I was going to do music, in college, they were like, you're crazy, you don't sing, what are you talking about? I was still a closet singer. I would go in the closet and practice in the closet, like I told you. I had, nobody knew that I sang. It took her about a month to get used to the idea. Finally, I started college, pre-med music major. I quickly realized bio wasn't for me, 
All I wanted to do was go in the practice room and study, and practice, you know, study my music. And um, one thing led to the next. I got many signs. Many, there's more miracle stories I could tell. But basically, God was calling me to sing and to do it professionally. I didn't think, I never thought in a million years that I'd be a singer. Since I was a, I was a kid, I always thought I was going to be a doctor like my uncles and be in medicine like my dad as well. The whole, like fam, the friends in the family as well, I thought that was, what I, that was what I was going to do. I never thought in a million years that I'd be a singer. I had never sung. But my teachers, mentors, guest artists were telling me, you need to think about this. You need to think about this. And I thought about it. And I, and I heard God calling me in a certain way. Senior year comes, just a few months ago. Winter quarter. I decided to do another change in my life to pursue graduate school for my master's in music. I decided to be crazy <laughs> and applied to seven of the best music schools in the country, perhaps in the world. These included UCLA, San Francisco Conservatory, Rice University, the Juilliard School, Yale School of Music, New England Conservatory, Curtis Institute of Music, all top choices. I immediately felt the weight of what I was about to do and got out my Bible and read all those promises I had read years before prepping for Bible camp. First Samuel chapter 3 was still my comfort. I knew this time that the Lord would guide me and would answer me as he had done before as to where I needed to go to school to better my craft. I knew that if that I was, I was and still am very far, far from perfect. But I made an agreement with God. If He guides me and continues to bless me like He always has, that I would dedicate my life and talent anew every day. By the grace of God alone, I was called back to audition at every school I applied for. <laughs> As a result, my winter quarter was madness. I was flying almost every weekend all over the country. Thank God my professors were so gracious with me, being willing to let me make up missed work and classes. I'm also so thankful to have my dad fly with me everywhere I went and my family rooting for me. Once again, I have to thank God for my family. After the long audition process, which took many months from December till March, one by one I received the news that I had been accepted to every school that I auditioned for, with the exception of Curtis Institute of Music. <laughs> I was sick with bronchitis and had a hard voice, but I said, you know, the heck with them, I'm just going to do it anyways. And it was fun, but uh, obviously I didn't get in there. <laughs> but it was fine. It was fine. I, I just said it's not meant to be, it's fine. I had still had my trust in the Lord. And now I was faced with the worst, the best worst problem to have. Where to go? Again, I was on my knees every night, pleading to the Lord for His guidance. After much thought and consideration, I narrowed it down to my top choices. Yale, New England Conservatory, or Rice University. I could only decide one, and I knew what it would have to come down to. God kept His side of the agreement, and now I had to keep mine. The whole time as a Seventh-day Adventist, I knew I was going to have to make a decision based on the Sabbath. Again, I felt the weight of the cross I had to carry for Jesus. And I pleaded to him. I was ashamed, actually, that I felt so scared to stand up for what I believed in. But it was just because I had never done something like that before. 
Again, I grew up in the Adventist system. When do I have to ever tell somebody I'm Adventist? This is what I believe. Can you work with me? You know. After many nights praying, I finally mustered up the courage to make the phone calls and send the emails to the directors of the voice programs. First, I called New England Conservatory in Boston. I told him about my beliefs and that I would love to work with him on this, and he agreed in a pleasant manner, saying how he knew many Jews in the area. <laughs> I thought it was a good sign, even though I felt as if maybe I hadn't been strong enough in that conversation. Next, I sent an email to Yale, telling them that I had heard they rehearsed six days a week, including a long rehearsal day on Saturday. All that I received back was an email with a very intense attitude about why I was sending this email and, at the time, and why I was sending it at the time. Not answering a single one of my questions. Later, I had a tough conversation on the phone with the director of voice, and she told me, have you thought about this? I said, about what? We went to Yale? She said, no, 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 about this whole Saturday thing. You know you can't have a career, right? This obviously stirred me, but I stayed calm, and I remembered my trust in God, and how I was trying to keep zero, no, like, basically no expectations. I just went in to see what God had for me. I then called the director at Rice University. He was very nice and said the opposite of Yale, telling me how thankful he was I called in advance and that I was handling very professionally. We had a good conversation, but he also told me that they did rehearse six days a week from 10 to 5, much like Yale. It's a big rehearsal day. Then I received an email back from the director of New England Conservatory. The first part of the email told me that he had bumped into the vice president of the school and he had asked for me. He had heard about my audition and wanted to give me the presidential scholarship, which included a full ride and a stipend. Praise the Lord. This was amazing news as it elevated New England to the level that Yale and Rice was. However, the real prize was in the second paragraph. The director told me that he had bumped into the director of the opera program as well and had talked to him about me too. The opera director told him to tell me that they can't use facilities on Saturday because they have a community school prog schooling program there as well. And the schedules for the rehearsals usually end at 6 p.m. every day, including Fridays. The next sentence said this, and I quote, So, you never have to worry about this potential conflict. Reading a... <laughs> no, no, no. Reading this hit me like a ton of bricks. God had done it again. And this was not a sign that I had, that I had to rationalize through or put together some, something abstract. I read it in plain English in the email. I called my mom and we began to cry on the phone, praising God for the miracles he had done. I tell you these stories this morning, church, not to brag about how great I am but to boast in how great God is. Paul tells us that we are allowed to boast in God, and I'll never tire of it. He has been so faithful to me, and I tell you this testimony because I know that He is faithful to you as well. We screw up and fall. We are nothing. But God, through His eternal love for us, makes us something, and it's beautiful. 
I want to challenge you this morning with two things before I leave the stage as a preacher. <laughs> the first is to trust in God and be careful what you ask for. Because you might just get it. And you might just have God walk into the room. The second is to be still. Listen for the Lord's voice calling you. And be ready to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It is never too late to hear the Lord's voice. It is never too late to answer His call in your life. Claim the promises God has given you. They are there for a reason. They would not only tell us that God is good, but that He's alive and that He's actively loving us. We serve a Redeemer who's risen and who's knocking on the door. All we have to do is be ready to open it. When one door closes, He's always knocking on another. Even when you don't hear God speak, He might still be standing there trying to reach you, like He did with me. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. We can never deserve God's love and guidance, but through his grace, he gives it to us anyway. All I am is a beggar telling other beggars what the food is, really. Christ is the bread, the wine, the way and the life. The beginning and the end. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and you might just hear him call your name. Like he called Samuel in the night. Seek him with all your hearts and ye shall truly find him. Amen. This begins our summer series that we call BIOS, where you will hear from a church member something that only they can tell, something only they can say about their lives. They'll say a few words, and a pastor will usually say a few words. I'm looking at the clock and ask, asking you, do you have time for five more minutes? Are we okay? You're not going to get up and leave? Because there's a couple more songs right after. Listen, uh, Anthony's telling us about a story that our children know well. We usually save the story of the boy Samuel for youth rallies and pathfinders and Sabbath schools. The storybook looks like this. In fact, Anthony, tell me if you owned these stories when you were growing up. Yes? Did you have that haircut too? Not your haircut. Oh, your brother had that haircut. There's more there. You didn't have this haircut because you had this haircut, Anthony. <laughs> and your mouth is already open, ready to sing. You have the next haircut. Check this out. Uh, stop it already. Is this the picture you used on your application to those opera programs? We usually stop the story right here. Speak, Lord, your servant heareth. 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. It's the end of the story, and we applaud, and we say, well done to our youth. Thank you to our youth. There are a few of you who are listening. That's where we usually end the story. There is more in this story. It's the aged, blind, hard of hearing Eli when no one has seen or heard from God in a long time. It appears there is only one who can hear the voice of God, and it's the young one in the room. 
The word boy, somewhere between birth and a young adult, we assume Samuel's about age 12. The 12 year old can hear what the adults in the room are missing. Can we hear that for a moment? Youth have agency to hear the voice of God. Even when the adults in the room don't. So for a moment, we let that sink in today. The outgoing priest, if we kept reading after verse 10, the outgoing priest, chief priest Eli, asks the young young incoming prophet Samuel, by the way, what did God say to you in the middle of the night? For me, this is one of the most important intersections in the story. As important as Samuel saying, speak, I'm listening, is what happens next for Samuel to make the next right decision on behalf of God. Eli has all the power in the story. He has the power of the nation. He has the power of the religion, the power of the government, the power of his mama who sent him there. Good grief. Eli has all the power and he's looking at the 12 year old boy saying, what did God say to you in the middle of the night? And Eli tells the truth. God said that you've fallen on the job, Eli. God said that you've become complicit, that you've allowed your sons to cross borders of boundaries of land and bodies, that your sons have taken possession and property. God says you and your family have miserably failed the nation. God says there's no punishment for this other than death. Oh, it's one thing that Samuel heard the voice of God. It's another thing that Samuel could speak truth in the moment when he's asked to make the next right decision in this story is as important as anything. Samuel tells Eli the truth, not knowing what will happen next. Eli says, well, let it be. God knows. God knows. There are layers of Samuel's story that we rarely get to talk about. Samuel, the prayed for baby, I wonder what was lingering in the air in Samuel's home. You know, we all bring these stories to our our, uh, experience with God. In Samuel's short little life already, this is what probably hangs in the air as the family gathers and they share festivals and holiday and they celebrate the rituals of the week. Already hanging in the air, his mother can't conceive. He's the prayed for miracle baby already hanging in the air. If he survived this, then his life would be given back to God. He survives. He's thriving. Hanging in the air is that his mother is ridiculed and teased and belittled by the other women in the household because she couldn't conceive. Hanging in the air when his mother goes to temple, passionately prays for a child. The high priest Eli tells her she's like a drunk to go home. Hanging in the air is he'll be the outsider in the story because Eli's sons are supposed to inherit the vocation. All of this hanging in the air. Samuel has the courage to make the next right decision. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. That's just one part of the story. We often say our poor young adults and children, the culture, the well, the family, the family too, right? All of this is in the mix for the young 12-year-old Samuel, all of these layers to come from this family, to be confronted by God. Youth have ability and agency to hear from God. We sometimes say our kids are resilient. Resilient isn't a big enough word for what I'm trying to describe today. 
Youth have ability and agency when no adults are in the room. To those here who are younger, did you see a stage full of 15 or 20 young adults? I ask you today, how is it you're aligning your life so you can hear the voice of God? How is it the choices that you're making and the friends that we're choosing and the priorities that we're making, church, how is it you're arranging your lives so the voice of God could actually pierce through? What are the small choices and the large ones, the priorities? When I ride with my husband in his car to church, which is very rare, <clears throat> I come early, he comes a little late. I rode in his car for the first time a few months ago we, as we were approaching the church. I'm going to show you a little video of what happened in his car. <laughs> That's his car. His car chimes church bells when we pull up to the church. Like, he turned me, he heard me talking that I wanted church bells. If I could have two things, I want stained glass that doesn't leak and I want church bells. He programs his cart church bells. When he I said, what is that? He says, well, it lets you know you're at church. I said, I know I'm at church. I work here. He said, you don't work here. You're at church. When he goes to his work, listen to what his car does. When he drives up to his research lab at Loma Linda, Not great. <laughs> Small little choices in his life that put his mind in a gear for where am I going? What am I doing? This is what's happening next, right? What are the ways we're aligning our lives? We're sending ourselves messages. We are in God's good world. What is next? Because the truth is young adults, the next generation will need a church that's ready to receive their gifts to honor their gifts, to make space for their gifts. This, uh, this theologian, I heard one amen, we'll take it. This theologian from Vanderbilt University, Herbert Mauberny, suggests one of the cr critiques from inside the black community is that when young blacks were developing their creative skills during the era of hip-hop being developed in our country, it was hard in some spaces for them to find pockets of people who could support their gifts, faith communities who could embrace their gifts. And when the faith communities fell absent, the music industry is right there ready to snatch up these creative gifts for profit and for exploitation. And so negative lyrics and negative imaging and all of what all, already the community struggles with just gets reinforced. This theologian says, it would be interesting if we could empower our children by ensuring they have health care and housing and quality education. They have safe environments. Then they will hear a word from the Lord and heal our land. When we teach our children to be available to God, they will imagine themselves in the image of their creator, not in the images developed by the market-driven mass media. On that day, when no child is hungry or naked or unloved, when each one has what needs, they need, 
they can respond, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The blessing of the Lord will be revealed among us. Bless you, those that nurtured Anthony Leon, teachers and professors and voice coaches and Sabbath school teachers and academy teachers. Anthony, here's a text for you, Proverbs 18, 16. A gift opens doors. It gives you access to the great. You will go places none of us will go. May you hear the voice of God there too. God increases the bandwidth with the next generation church. Don't be offended. Be delighted. God has not left the land. It's what they thought in the nation of Israel. God has left the house and we're not hearing from him. No, God increases the bandwidth. God is real and the spirit is alive. Few of us will apply to eight advanced opera training programs, right? Few of us will be priests and prophets in the nation of Israel. That is not the point of this story. The story says the creator is always communicating. May we be the church, the people who can hear. Amen.